is Harold Patius, founding partner of the law firm Preddy Flaherty, former associate White House press secretary under President Lyndon Johnson, civic leader, businessman, and international diplomat. I spoke with Harold Patius by phone on May 8th, 2020. Welcome, Harold Patius. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, all things considered, and really pleased to have you on the show. Thank you for being my guest. Um, I couldn't help but note that today is May 8th, which is um, a holiday of sorts, victory over Europe, um, you know, World War II, and you're a scholar of World War II. So I thought we'd first begin our conversation with, I'm wondering, do you have any comments on um, the comparison of the United States handling a world war like World War II and how America is handling this this plague, this pandemic? I sure do. I sure do. Uh, <clears throat> during World War II, and I was alive during World War II, uh, Americans uh, sacrificed things were tough. Uh, we had rationing uh, you couldn't do a lot of things. We had air raid drills. We had, uh, you know, representatives of the government out on the street, get off the roads, go into shelter, so forth. You had to do what they said. And there was a lot of inconvenience. There was nothing compared to what was going on in England, where they were being viciously bombed every day for 10 months, every day, huge bombing raids, destroying almost every major city in England. And they carried on. They carried on incredibly well. And so th things were tough in World War II. And keep in mind that the whole world was aflame. The whole world was aflame, and we were fighting wars on two fronts, in the Pacific and in the Atlantic. People were being killed, huge numbers of people being killed, civilians, soldiers, and many Americans. And we did it. Now, we have a guy I, I saw in the news the other day up in uh, Bethel. He says, I'm, I don't care what the government says about the pandemic and what they're trying to do. I'm going to open, and I don't care what the, the government's issue is. It's just selfishness. The, the, the world has changed. This country has changed dramatically. Uh, just look at the level of discourse, the garbage, the, the, the venom that spills out of people when they talk about politics. It is a big, big change. And uh, so, yeah, I'm constantly aware of that, and I'm constantly aware of the difference in leadership. During World War II, we had a president who told us the truth, who didn't apple and uh and said what we have to fear now are you talking about itself. fdr fdr what we have to fear is fear itself said our president then today we have a, a, a president and a leader who's who wants us to be fearful who tries to create fear and uncertainty that's his tool so you asked me a question, and you got a long answer because the differences are enormous. Some would argue that 
the president, President Trump, uses fear to gain political advantage. It's just a, a, a tool of his to get power. How do you see the his handling, his administration's handling of the pandemic playing out in the elections? I mean, who's going to win the politics of the pandemic? You know, I think, frankly, I, I think it's that's a hard one. Um, uh, you know, a president, a president can't control uh, the virus. Uh, so, you know, they talk about we're unprepared and so forth. Uh, I don't put too much stock in that debate. It's awfully hard to know exactly uh, whether things were worse because of it or not. Uh, what I do uh, not like is... Uh, that he lies, uh, that he tells stories, sometimes a day apart, says one thing one day, another thing the next day, or says something, and then the following day says, no, I didn't say that. And, of course, one of the great improvements over the political scene back in World War II is that now we have video and recordings, and so when the politician says, I did not say that, they just play the video. Listen for yourself. So uh, I, I don't know how that's going to play out in an election. I really don't. I know one thing, uh, and it's what Trump knows. He's worried about the economy because he was hoping that he would run on the economy. He took, he, he, he took credit for the good economy, which, of course, uh, was a strong economy, the, the economy when uh, Obama left office. And uh, now he can't take credit for that. It isn't his fault. He didn't create the virus. He didn't create all this unemployment, uh, but he's deprived of uh, one of his uh, firm planks uh, for re-election. One of the themes in the 2016 election was this, um, you know, globalist versus nationalist. And President Trump ran on, you know, this idea of America first and populism and nationalism. And it seems to me the pandemic kind of shows two sides of the story. On the one hand, it revealed, as far as the economy goes, how interdependent we are, and that if we can't get our iPhones out of China and we can't get migrants to farm our food, we're in trouble. On the other hand, it kind of reinforces this notion that we need walls, that somehow we have to protect ourselves from China. Uh, Do you see the globalist versus uh, nationalist theme kind of continuing, given the coronavirus, or is that going to no, go away? I don't think there's a place in the world that can insulate itself uh, uh, from a, a virus that travels throughout the world. I mean, it, it, there's no way to keep it. You can't name a country where there are not victims of the coronavirus. Just can't name one. So you can build all the walls you want. It's not going to stop a virus and you can you know if you shut down uh all air travel and so forth as we have right now diminishing it greatly you can only do that for a short period of time so no i don't think that you can find an argument for america first in this issue of the virus do you think you you know let, let me comment briefly on on, on on that and on nationalism. 
prior, we, we, we started out talking about World War II, an interesting phenomenon in this country. Uh, in 1939, Britain went to war. Germany was invading, uh, invaded Poland. Uh, the following year, uh, France, the Netherlands, Belgium, just running roughshod through these countries and occupying them. And uh, we were insulated. We were insulated uh, by the two seas on our two coasts. And there was a strong feeling among all kinds of people, including very intelligent people, that we should be in isolation and we should not be involved in these wars, that they didn't involve us. And uh, Franklin Roosevelt was not an isolationist, but he was confronted with a very big America First movement in the United States. And uh, as was a result, it partisan? It was not partisan at all. That's the big difference. It was not partisan. And now, of course, it is partisan. It's crazy. What do you think the history books are going to say about the United States' role in this pandemic? I don't know. I don't know about the United States' role in the pandemic. They're going to say that, that uh, you know, there was controversy over whether we're prepared. I think, I think the president creates his own history because he says things that what people know are not true. And he behaves in a certain way. So, you know, unlike other great leaders, just I'm reading a book about Churchill now called The Splendid and the Vile. Uh, unlike other, other leaders, uh, this guy passes the buck. Harry Truman had a sign on his desk, the buck stops here. Well, the buck never stops with President Trump. He makes sure, I mean, he says it explicitly. It's Obama's fault. It's Clinton's fault. It's the Chinese fault. It's everybody's fault. He does as he says many times, not in, not with any sense of embarrassment. I'm perfect. I'm the smartest man who ever lived. I think that's what the history books are going to write about. I really do. He is a, he is a one of a kind. Never had a president like that. And um, he, he is going to have uh, a lot of books written about him. But what are, you know, what they're going to say about the pandemic? I don't know. I really don't know. Closer to home, uh, when I spoke with you in the fall, it was shortly before the November election, you were a guest in the WGAN studios, and we were discussing the mayoral race in Portland. And you made a plea with then Mayor Ethan Strimling to sort of like back off a little bit on the anti-development, anti-business um, thumping that his campaign was um, engaged in. And, and now there's been just such a dramatic change in the economy. What's, from your view, do you think that Portland can recover? Can we survive this pandemic? It'll take a long time. Everybody that thought that there was, the economy was too good in Portland, they got their wish because... I think it's going to be many, many years. I think there's a lot of projects that are just dead, dead. And uh, I think a lot of restaurants are going to be permanently closed. So uh, those who are worried about growth in Portland, uh, you know, are not going to have to worry anymore. 
for a long time. Do you think that Trump, Joe? Do you think Joe Biden can win uh, the the national election from his basement? Yeah, because uh, I do. I do think so. I don't know whether he will. I can't predict that. But is it a problem that he's in his basement? No, because this election is an issue. is is a, is a referendum on Donald Trump. Do we think? Donald, the individual voters say Donald Trump is fit to be president and he's the kind of president I want. That's what the, that's what the question's going to be in the election. It's not about Joe Biden. It's about Donald Trump. And maybe the best place for Trump, Biden is to just hunker down, you know, make statements, read things, do analyses, prepare for the time that he might be president. But... Uh, uh, it's about Trump, not about Biden. Do you think that Joe Biden is going to suffer any sort of mortal wound from the allegations of Tara Reid? She's the woman who accuses him of sexual harassment from years ago as her work as an intern in the Senate office. I don't believe there's any such thing as a mortal wound in politics anymore. If you want to talk about mortal wounds, talk about three weeks before an election for president is held in 2016, the Republican candidate is confronted with a tape, with a videotape, in which he says disgusting things about woman. And three weeks later, he's elected president of the United States. So it used to be that there were mortal wounds from these things. No more. It's all acceptable. What do you think this um, pandemic and some of the political ramifications does for the U.S. Senate race in Maine? It's hotly contested. Of course, for the first time, Susan Collins has a formidable opponent with vast resources. Um, does she survive? Well, I should read the polls. She's well behind, but that doesn't make any difference much difference at this stage other than she's behind and that's notable. Uh, I don't know. And whether you asked whether the pandemic has any effect on it. Uh, I notice her ads every night. I see many, many Susan Collins ads and she says in her ads, you know, she got, she got legislation passed and so forth. The people getting checks and, help from the government. Of course, all the senators voted for it. I think there was one senator who voted against it. But her ads say that, you know, she wants to take credit for it, which is fine. I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference uh, in her election. I think there's one critical problem for Susan Collins. Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump. Donald Trump. And she is, you know, she is an expert at threading the needle of trying to make both sides happy, everybody happy. And I think it's very difficult to make Donald Trump happy and to make a majority of Maine voters happy. And I don't know how she's going to pull that off. I really don't. Harold, can you, th uh, can you think of any other president that was as um, toxic in some regards or just uh, so controversial as Donald Trump? No, no. 
no, not to that extent. But you, you know, look, I ran for Congress in 1980, Jimmy Carter, in the end of Jimmy Carter's second term. And I, I did not think, I thought Jimmy Carter was a very good man, a very moral man. I did not think he was a very good president. And, uh, and I was running for Congress. I wished that he weren't at the head of the ticket when I was running. And I knew, I, I knew we couldn't be reelected. And he got beat badly by Ronald Reagan. And, of course, that didn't help me. So uh, he was, I, 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 I hesitate to use the word toxic with Jimmy Carter because he was a decent, God-fearing, moral man. Uh, but he was not a strong candidate and uh, when he ran for re-election. So, but I can't, yeah, you look, um, Truman, I mean, there were a lot of presidents that were unpopular uh, at various times of the presidency, uh, but I wouldn't say any of them were toxic. I think the problem with Trump is what comes out of his mouth, what he says. And, uh, and he'll continue saying it. So, it's it's the outrage that so, he creates. I, I always can I just ask about Jimmy Carter for a second. So um, yeah, he, he you just described him as you know a moral, um, good, decent person. Um, do you think that that was his weakness? I mean, do you think that what America wants in a leader is somebody who does like BS about stuff and project um, sort of machismo? As opposed to, I don't think so. Uh, I, 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 I don't think so at all. Uh, yeah, they want they they want strength projected, but not like this guy. Not not con men strength. Not carnival barker strength. Uh, not phony strength. Uh, not somebody who has to go around and say I am strong in order for people to convince people he's strong. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was a strong guy, but he was strong uh, because he had, uh, uh, you know, a fairly high degree of courage in his being. He was, nobody had any doubt about his courage, none whatsoever. This guy has a record, a public record of 40 years, you know, in business and so forth. How he has conducted his life, the things that people have said about him and he about himself is a record. So, no, we haven't had anybody even close to him in American history. Nobody. Paula Page says he was Donald Trump before Donald Trump, and now we hear rumors that he will be coming back to Maine from Florida and challenging Janet Mills for the Blaine House. Um, yeah. Any chance that Paula Page is going to serve as Maine's governor again, in your view? Well, you never know. Donald Trump got elected president. Paula Page got elected governor. Who knows uh, what the people want? And, you know, it all does come down to people and what, what they prefer. But the numbers are not good for Paula Page. Paula Page... Uh, ran in two gubernatorial elections, and he never got half the people to vote for him. <laughs> never got half the people to vote for him. So if you are a person who finds it impossible to get 50% of the vote, you need a, 
you need a third candidate in there somewhere. And um, uh, I just don't think he's going to have that. There's just going to be Janet Mills, and if he gets the Republican nomination, uh, it's going to be him, two of them. And he can't get 50%. All right, last topic, Harold, um, before I let you go. Um, you have served as the chairman of the United States Advisory Commission on Public Diplomacy, as well as um, being a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. And yeah. your experience also is with the Peace Corps. And there's been talk, you know, in the media and, and nationally about a national service and the need for or the, the, the value of national service. Could you comment on that? Do you think that that would be a, a, a salve to some of the, the hurt that we're feeling? Yes, uh, it, it would, but I don't think it's possible in the contemporary political environment. we got a Peace Corps and also VISTA, you know, Volunteers in Service to America, the so-called Domestic Peace Corps. But let's talk about the Peace Corps. We got a Peace Corps in 1961 when we had a President Kennedy who, whose stock in trade was idealism. He was appealing to people's idealism, not their dark fears. And so there was a lot of idealistic momentum in the country in the in the very early 60s. We, we, we have no idealism in American politics today. We're devoid of it. Uh, Why do you think that is? Well, because I think that uh, politics has taken a hard turn. I think it was under Newt Gingrich when he was Speaker of the House. It was scorched earth, burn everything kill, 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 and I think we're still, we're left with that legacy, and it's not idealism, it's cut the other guy's throat, and citizens are like that too, many. If you read, I always, uh, or frequently, read the comments in newspaper articles, I've never made one myself, but I read the comments, and if you get a group of people that this is how they live every day, writing these comments. And the comments are vicious, nasty, terrible. And so we have, a, we have many people in the public, not the majority for sure, but many who like this nasty, hard-edged politics. So I think it was just we're, we're, we're devoid of idealism in America today, and I don't think... You know, this notion of national service, which I support, would get no traction. In today's Senate, it would be killed quickly. Well, I hate to leave on that note. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm maybe I'll just ask one more super, super quick question. What are you hopeful about, Harold? I'm, I'm hopeful. I am hopeful. And I'm hopeful because so many people... By far the majority of people in this country are decent people who want to help other people, who understand that they're part of a, uh, a society, a society at large. And we're all on this earth for a temporary period of time, and, uh, and, and, and most people want to pull together. And the pandemic is showing that. Most people want to, 
want to cooperate and be a good, positive part of society. And I like that. We still have that. Harold Paches, thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you. Have a nice day. You too.